scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 130. Out of the depths of I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, um, a lot of you know that I went to a small Christian liberal arts college in uh, the east side of Tennessee, somewhere between Chattanooga and Knoxville. And uh, it's interesting, the geological structure there in eastern Tennessee is there's just a lot of limestone. And uh, whatever big event happened, um, there's a huge basin, uh, they almost say like an inland sea, that drained itself uh, through all this limestone. And when it did, it, c- it carved out these just series of caves. So this is, uh, this is a big bone um, uh, national, I don't think it's, maybe it's a state park in Tennessee, and this is about like um, almost an hour back, and you've gone through a bunch of little crevices, a bunch of fat man squeezes, uh, little tunnels, uh, uh, drops going up, down, and and you'll see little sites like this, like, and then it opens up, and it's like a private thing, and then you'll find um, artifacts, um, old artifacts, you know, 1800s, sort of, oldish. That's old for Americans, for sure, and uh, you'll see, uh, they had these carbide lanterns and th- th- they're drawn on the wall of the caves and it's against the law now. And, and this is kind of what, how you go through it is, uh, um, this is spelunking, right? You have your gear and you can go through some really tight places. Um, it's not like a path that's laid out for you neatly with LED lights along the path. Uh, it's not like that. You have to, you have to go. Um, go through it. So there's a professor at my college, his name's Kurt Wise, went to Harvard, did a lot of work with Stephen Jay Gould. And what hit, uh, this was one of his hobbies he would do on the weekend is he would go to these new uh, caves or that had not been fully mapped out in, in a proper way. And he'd lay them out and um, he'd have his graph paper there and he'd bring teams of students to do that. And uh, I, I did it. It, it, it was, it's wild. You get really claustrophobic sometimes, like where you, you're just inching through with your feet to get through a space to the next thing. And you're like, and there's a person in front of you and back of you. And it can be, if you're claustrophobic, you do not want to do any spelunking, right? Um, so two students from my college uh, that we knew, um, they, they, uh, they would go to these caves. And a lot of people would do this is like they would go back as far as you could and reasonably get back. And you'd camp. You'd, you'd camp back there for the night, which is really interesting because it's dark, so it's like redundancy of darkness. Uh, but they camp, and then they'd come back out. Well, they went out there, and they were, they were pretty decently equipped, um, enough batteries, uh, enough food, you know, and, and reasonable about, like, how they went back so they could find their way back. And, um, and so uh, they were going down um, a crevice that, w- that was quite a big drop, and they had, they had some ropes or whatever, but one of the guys fell about 30, 40 feet, and um, uh, didn't know it at the time, but, but he broke his back, 
And uh, his partner, it, that's a very scary thing for the person who broke their back, but also the partner, what do, I, what do I do? And so he's scrambling out of this cave. Again, it's not a path. He has to scramble back the same way he went. So he's just getting caught up. He's panicked. He goes back. And uh, it takes about, um, about 12 hours before search and rescue is able to um, get to the point and find this guy who broke his back. Um, he, they made it out. And this guy who broke his back, the student, was, was describing that experience. And uh, he said this, uh, and he was just very plainly about it. There's no melodrama. melodrama. He just said, you're just alone. Um, and you know you're alone because I just knew it was impossible for someone to get me. Like, you don't speed that up. And um, he was trying to save his battery, so he, he turned off all the lights, and it's dark. And he said, uh, it's, it's a forgottenness. It's beyond panic. You, you have that at first, uh, but, but, but um, there's a forgottenness. And it's beyond, and I, this has stuck with me when he, he recounted this. He said, it's just beyond self-help. It's beyond self-help. Like, and he, and he said, now this part might sound melodramatic, but if your back is broken and no one's around for 12 hours, he said, I was becoming a resolve, like, I, I could die here, I guess. I could die here, I guess. And he said, I've never felt more helpless. I've never felt more helpless. That's a Psalm 130 picture. That's what we're into tonight, Psalm 130. I'm unable to change my situation. It's beyond self-help. And I'm unable to change my feelings about my situation. It's beyond self-help. And I'm waiting for help. My soul waits. My soul waits. My soul. I'm waiting for help. Like a guy with a broken back in a crevice. This is why I think this matters for you and me. I, I know you don't have a broken back. And I know that you're not in a crevice, and I know there are lights on. But if some of us who have been a, a, a Jesus follower for quite a long time, maybe grew up in the church, and you've been, like, you've been in, the, in the bubble, in the sphere of Christianity, this is where this could feel Psalm 130. Is you still have persistent feelings of guilt. And you have unshakable sense of shame that you can't quite put your finger on. And you know what you tell yourself? After all these years? After all these years? I'm still feeling guilty and I feel a lot of shame. Now what do we do with that? What do we do with that? This is where we're going. We're going to talk about this. We're going to listen to David first. Right? Start with the text. We're going to listen to David from Psalm 130. Then we're going to have a little talk about guilt and shame. And then we're going to talk about Christianity's descending rope. And not just a rope, but a descending person. The search and rescue, okay? So let's listen to David. And he talks about this. And he has this phrase, out of the depths. We sang that. That was our first song at the top. Out of the depths of woe, I raise my lamentation. Out of the depths. Psalm 130, the first two verses. Out of the depths, I'm crying to you, Lord. Now, why is that? 
Go back to my friend's phrase. It was beyond self-help. I'm in the depths. Now, it's interesting is David uses this imagery. This is a picture that we have. Is David uses this imagery um, like in Psalm 69 and Psalm 40. Sometimes he uses, um, it's translated like quicksand. Sometimes it's mire, right? I'm mired in. I'm in a place beyond self-help. I'm in a place beyond self-help. Be it, would you listen to my pleas? So that's what David uses that picture. When it's beyond self-help, that means something, and I, this is just crucial for tonight. It means that we can't unstick ourselves. We can't get unstuck, and we're, we're not the agent. I know that goes against a lot of like uh, the uh, American ethos, but this is a picture where David says, look, I do not have the resources to pull myself out. I have a broken back and I'm 40 feet down, an hour and a half back in this cave system. If it's gonna be mercy, it's gonna be external from me. That is the only thing that's gonna happen. And then he says this. It's really, really interesting. He said, look, if you're marking iniquities, right, if you're keeping track, if you're accounting for every little thing that's about me as a person, Lord, I know something. I can't stand there. Well, why does he say this? He says, I know for sure you're saving can't be attached to performance. Like if you're keeping track, I know you will not descend. I get that. That dream has died. I know it. I know it. Like if you keep track, it's not going to happen. And then he says this, I'm waiting for something. It's repeated Waiting, 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 waiting for more than the watchman waits for the morning. Waiting until what? The fingers of dawn. And and the whole psalm just pivots and turns like, I'm just waiting you to do your rescuing thing. That's all I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the one that rescues. And I have unshakable guilt. I have unshakable shame, but I'm waiting. So let's talk about guilt and shame. Let's talk about guilt and shame. It's really important to understand guilt versus shame, and they are related and connected. They really are. Um, and here's one way to describe it. We, we've, we've said this before, but just a quick reminder. Um, guilt is this. I made a mistake. Sin or error. I made a mistake. And shame is what? I am the mistake. Um, Guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am the mistake. Here's another way of looking at it. Um, uh, You play sports, right? So so I'm into the pickleball. Now, you can make fun of me. You can make fun of me, but there's a lot of dudes in here that are into the pickleball. All right? Uh, Every Sunday morning, look, if you have the microphone, you can plug, can't you, Darren? Every Sunday morning, 8 a.m., South Pass Junior High, come bring your pickleball game, Okay? 
So um, if I play pickleball, um, I can hit it out. That's an infraction. That's an infraction of the game. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I hit it out, right? Baseball, foul. Football, ran out of bounds. Infraction, stopped. I'm guilty, okay? Um, Or I can start to think this. Under pressure, Tim, you're the kind of guy who would totally hit it out. Do you see the difference? One is infraction. One is, you know what? When the game is on the line, you are an infraction. (laughs) You useless, well, never mind. I won't tell you my inner dialogue. Um, This morning, I don't know how many times I said, dang it, right? I'm hitting it out. If you do that enough, you're like, oh, maybe I am just out. Maybe. I mean, I don't go that introspective, right? Um, This is how, uh, uh, this is it. This is how it's attached to iniquity and hope in Psalm 130. So um, we've established that. Let's say I lie to a friend. My guilt is this. Tim, that that was not right. That was wrong, Tim. Uh, You should not have lied. Tim, that is a moral infraction. Let's say I lie to a friend. Shame is tougher. And this is where it starts to, like, pierce you and me. Shame is tougher. Why was I a coward? Like, when I lied, like, how come I didn't have... Like, what, what, what's killing me? I thought I was, like, I thought I was better than that. Like, I want to be a, a, a better version of myself than that. Like, why did I wimp out? See, see, the infraction kills what? My vision and my hope of who I want to be. And now we're talking shame. I'm a rat. I didn't think I was that kind of person. Why did you do that, Tim? Because you're a liar, that's why. Ouch. That's shame. And that can lead to hopelessness, can't it? That can lead to hopelessness. Um, this this sound, can sound like an ancient, dusty problem, like given to us by, handed down by religious people. Oh, the reason why we have all this guilt and shame is because of all of these religious people, and we're just trying, as moderns, we're just trying to get rid of that, and modern people are really trying to get rid of a lot of that guilt and shame, and so um, we can think it's very ancient. But let me, let me show you something. This is a modern problem. Ernest Becker Pulitzer winner, not a Jesus person, not a Christian. Um, he, he said this, he, he was talking about um, humanity, and he has this quote, he says, to grow up at all is to conceal the mass of internal scar tissue that throbs in our dreams. Another quote, I didn't, I didn't put it on the slide. He says this, we're born, this is Ernest Becker, we're born with an unshakable shame with self. This is a person who's not religious, not buying into the whole God thing, and he says, there is something about us that we are filled with shame, like something is wrong with us. And he said, I don't know why. Things are not right. So here's a modern solution to that modern problem. I feel as if something is not right with me. Here's a modern solution. 
what you want to do is, um, this might be able to help people, is what you, what you can do, modern solution, is deny infraction. Like deny guilt, right? So you can say, um, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like move the moral standards and I'm just going to say, hey, actually, whatever you did there, I don't think that was wrong. I just don't think it was wrong. I think it's okay to do. I think it's okay to do. All right, so um, this is a super superficial approach to the problem of shame, the modern problem of shame, is what we can do this is I can begin to praise someone for their what? Their pursuit of personal fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction. I can say, that is so awesome that you did that. Like it's not, no, that's not a bad thing. That's not a guilty thing. Good for you. Good on you. Go for it. Right? That's a modern solution to the problem of shame. So don't attach moral value. But this is it. And if there is a modern sin, it's this. If there's a modern sin, it's calling something bad or evil. If there is a modern sin. Um, And this is what we're doing, is we're assisting someone. In the modern thought, we're assisting someone not to feel inordinately bad about like who you are. That will get rid of the guilt and shame. Um, You guys have heard me say this before, but Franz Kafka wrote a book called, uh, in German, Der Prozess, (laughs) The Trial, right? Uh, And in it, main character, Joseph K., uh, he wakes up, and and in the book it says, someone must have slandered Joseph K., because one morning he was arrested, even though he had done nothing wrong. And the rest of the story is, he's going crazy. I'm in prison I feel as if I've done something wrong, but I don't know what I've done wrong. I don't know what I've done wrong. And the book ends with his jailer just killing him. So he dies, and he doesn't know what he did wrong, but he feels like he did something wrong. I just don't know what it was. Franz Kafka wrote this in his journal about the trial. Like, we get this benefit of, like, what did you mean when you wrote this book? Because everyone thinks it was, like, absurdist philosophy. And he says this, the problem with modern people is that we feel like sinners, yet we're independent of guilt. Whoa. He like nails it. I feel as if there's something wrong with me, but I'm okay. Everyone says I'm okay. I have no guilt. Um, We've gotten rid of moral infractions, but we still what? Feel Becker's unshakable sense of shame with the self. Um, Arthur Miller got this. He's the guy who wrote The Crucible. Who had to read The Crucible in high school? We all did, okay. Arthur Miller. Um, He wrote this. It's a long quotation. There are three slides of this quotation. I'll read it fast. But I want you to capture what he wrote in this this little book called After the Fall. Um, After the Fall. Wow, I didn't even plan that. For many years, I looked at life like a case at law, a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart. Then, what a good lover. Then, a good father. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that I was moving on an upward path towards some elevation where I don't know what, I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict anyway. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty.
no judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. We've rid the system of marking iniquities. Let's not mark iniquities anymore. Let's get rid of that guilt. And we've rid the system of a judge or judgment. And now what are we doing? I'm endlessly arguing with myself. Why do you feel this way? And for a lot of us, that's Psalm 130. That's despair in a 30-foot fall with a broken back beyond self-help. Now, I, let me give you this, but we've, I will say this honestly speaking now, when, when you even look at people's approaches, um, we've stayed with a basic solution, and it's pretty superficial, but um, we've stayed with affirm, praise, self-esteem boost. Look, I know you're feeling down. I know you're feeling like you're really sh full of shame and guilt, but look, I just want to tell you something. You're great, and you're wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with you, except that what you think about yourself, that's something wrong with you, but, but what you need to do is you need to change your perceptions, and look, we all love you. We all love you. We really do. We're glad you're around. Stop feeling that way because we love you. And Christians get into the game and say, hey, look, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Which is true, but it's horribly incomplete. So let's talk about Christianity's descending rope. I'm going to do this. I have five different things here. Hmm. Got to edit on the fly. All right, I'm going to wrap these first two together. Um, this is what Christianity does. And it's, it, it sounds kind of weird and a little morbid, but it's, I'm going to tell you why it's beautiful. First of all, um, Christianity recognizes the infraction, and we recognize the shame. Like, what do we do? Um, what do we say? Uh, let me put it this way. Um, do you think Putin needs um, a sense of less guilt in his life. No, 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 no. We'd say, hey, that really does something really constructive, is that a higher sense of guilt means that you know that there is infraction, and you probably shouldn't do that. Like, we wouldn't say, you know what? Hitler just needed less guilt in his life. No, we don't, we don't say that. Um, we say this is that um, I'm trying to edit on the fly, which is really hard. Um, well, I was reading an article. Um, Diane Young from Boston College, she's a professor at Boston College, and she proposes in her article, she says this is, I'm going to propose to you that most of our moral compasses are broken, which is kind of edgy in our culture. And she says in her article, she says, I am proposing, now she's not a Christian either, but she goes, she's, I'm proposing a standard of moral authority. <laughs> because so people can know where their moral opinions are derived from, and it's not just based on simple opinion. Like, yeah, I think that's right and that's wrong. But like all of us can say, oh, we're appealing to a standard. So Christianity offers this and says, there is a standard. Right? And yeah, we don't live to, like, we, we blow it, and we kill it, and we kill, but there is a standard. There is a standard. There is a judge on a bench. 
Um, it also recognizes shame. It says, you know what? We see that there is a weight on your soul and your mind. And we see that every single day you get things that accuse you. Satan's called the accuser most times in all the scriptures, accusing you, 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 you have not done it. You have not done enough. Um, uh, I read another article by Deborah Baum, and it was, uh, I put it in our, your reflections there in the online bulletin, and I think it just captures this feeling of shame. She goes, I feel guilty about everything. Already today I felt guilty about having said the wrong thing to a friend. Then I felt guilty about avoiding that friend because of the wrong thing I'd said. Plus, I haven't called my mother yet today guilty and really should have organized something special for my husband's birthday guilty. I gave the wrong kind of food to my children, uh, child guilty. I've been cutting corners at work lately guilty. I skipped breakfast guilty. I snacked and said double guilty. I'm taking all the space in a world with not enough space in it guilty, guilty, guilty. She goes, goes on just like, I'm just feeling all of this guilt. And Christianity doesn't say, yeah, 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 but Deborah, we love you. Everybody's crazy about you, Deborah. It doesn't jump there first. It actually recognizes the depth of Psalm 130 and say, yeah, that, that's real, Deborah. I have that same guilt too, Deborah. Uh, the third thing Christianity gives is forgiveness. And it's not just canceling the infraction. It's the transfer of infraction. Um, David Foster Wallace, kind of a grudging philosopher, now dead, wrote in The Broom of the System. He says this, and, and he was trying to make a little snide comment. And he says this, what Christianity is really is the offer of an irresistible reward, heaven, in exchange for an unperformable service, our deeds. He kind of gets at it in its little poke. You know what I would say is like, that's, that's pretty decent, David Foster Wallace. Like that's what Luther called the great exchange. Like I'm gonna give this God-man Jesus my sin and my junk, the worst part, I'm gonna give, and Jesus gives me back. It's called an imputed righteousness to me. It's, he calls it the great exchange. I saw this quote on Twitter. It, it said, um, the, the author said, I think we should take our national debt and legally transfer it to one person and then kill them. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. One of the commenters underneath said this, I think you accidentally just reinvented Christianity. <laughs> It gives forgiveness where the transfer is real. Um, what else does Christianity give us? Hope. And what I mean by that is the vision that I have for myself changing and being transformed is not based on myself. Because, look, there's a limit to empathy like a friend can be with you in the pit, in the crevice, in the cave, and your friend can have a broken back too. And your friend can say, I feel the same as you. It's tough, isn't it? I know how you feel. I have a broken back too, I totally get it. And you would ask them, do you have a way out? And they would say, no, but I totally get you. 
Um, but that isn't hope. Hope is this. I have a redeemer, search and rescue, who is descending with real rope and gear to me. And he is going to take me out of here. Look, everyone has a gospel. Gospel just means good news, right? Did you know that everyone has a gospel if it's not Jesus? My, my hopes have shape-shifted over the years. You know when I was trying to run from Jesus and Christianity that I knew as a kid? You know what I just did in my youth? I tried to chase good news in a bottle or a bed or a business of achievement. And then I, 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 I thought, okay, maybe I haven't done the moral program. Maybe I didn't try Christianity. And so do you know what I changed my good news to? Tim, it's good news if you try really hard and do the program. And then you get frustrated. And you can't do the program. And then I try to build stuff for Jesus. As a minister, no less. And that was my good news. Hey, Tim, you will, you, will just, you, you will change yourself by what you build for him. Or, or maybe you can chase it through the acquisition of knowledge, precision, correctness, read stuff, erudition. Guess what? There's someone who's always read more than you. Church planting. Tim, here is an opportunity to maybe build a, a, a church in a different way and, 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 you can make not, and you can not make all the mistakes that other people have done. Ouch. That's not good news. Now I see myself shifting my hopes. Like if you're talking about my heart, like, oh, I'm thinking about money more than I ever have thought about my life. Or I'm thinking about like, oh, how do, I, how do I shape and give to this next generation that's going to go, which sounds really noble, but it's not good news. And, and look, you, you, food can be your gospel. Sex, money, power, fame, you know, all the, the, the it can be your gospel. And say, that's going to lift me up out of this crevice with my broken back if I just get this. And, and this is what Psalm 130 says. It's like, look. All of that, you are hoping in the Lord. It's only going to be the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. All of these little gospels and good news as you're chasing them, it's only going to be a person who descends and pulls you back out. Last part, Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. But it's the part that begins to melt your shame. How do I know that? Because development is not instantaneous. It's not. Um, you know what's funny is, that, you know what happened in the desert with all of the Israelites? They were like learning the same lesson over and over again. Will you trust in my hand? Will, I, you don't trust. Will you trust in my hand? My soul waits. That is huge to me. Because when your soul waits, you have given up on every single other Savior. 
When your soul starts to wait, you've said, I swear off these false good news that I thought would pull me up. See, when your soul waits, you have one redeemer. And this is the gorgeous, gorgeous thing of Psalm 130 is it ends with oodles of steadfast love. The promise is, I will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. That's huge. Jesus, um, our soul waits, our soul waits. We do have guilt and shame. Bring our hearts to the point where we are waiting for singularity of Savior. That is you. In Jesus' name, amen.